0: Wilkes Economic Development Corporation facilitates the creation of new jobs and in capital investment in Wilkes County, North Carolina. We accomplish this by primarily focusing on retention and expansion of existing and new businesses, along with real estate development. We are here to help you grow. Learn more at Wokesdc.com or give us a call today at 336-838-1501.
1: from white lightning to lightning fast the wilkesboro find your back road podcast covers all the people places and things that make wilkesboro one-of-a-kind mountain destination
0: enjoy lively conversations as we welcome artists local business leaders event organizers and creatives from
1: around wilkesboro it's the wilkesboro find your back road podcast And let's introduce our guest for this episode We have Jay Raffaldini, who is the owner of Raffaldini Vineyards And uh, thank you for being on Find Your Back Road
0: Thank you for having me, and I look forward to our conversation
1: again. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it And anytime we're talking anything about wine or in the vicinity of wine I know Michelle's excited to have the conversation as well Yes, I
0: love wine, I love day drinking, and wine is my favorite yeah, there so, you go. I'm very happy to talk to you and hear about your vineyard.
1: <laughs> yeah, and we, before we get talking about the vineyard, let's talk a little bit about your story because it's a very fascinating story. How um, you know your origins and working at Wall Street for so many years, and then eventually finding your way into Western North Carolina as owner uh, as owner of a vineyard. Talk a little bit about your own background and Wall Street, at, and then becoming an owner of a vineyard.
0: Well, thank you for that. So uh, I'm. From the New York, New Jersey area, and have been working on Wall Street since 1985. And I continue to work on Wall Street to this day. Uh, one of the things that I learned early in my career was uh, this there's a saying for Wall Street there are old traders and bold traders, but no old and bold traders, because eventually you're going to need a second act in your life. And when I was in my late 30s, I had uh, some relatively good success in my career and i had I was able to start thinking about the second phase of my life and what i discovered was uh wine was really central to that whole journey And then if you have a little bit of wealth and you love wine there's just two things that you can really do with it one is you could have a fancy trophy seller to show off on and the other is to start a business and i really liked the idea of starting a business and because of my uh, where I worked in Wall Street, it kind of ruled out starting a, a wine business, a you know, vineyard and winery in the West Coast. It was just too far logistically. And then uh, this is around the year uh, 1999. I started uh, looking around the East Coast, and only you know three areas popped up back then to make wine. One, of course, is the Finger Lakes of uh, New York, which is a little bit cold to make red wine. And then the North Fork of Long Island, which is another area. Uh, and then Virginia, uh, the areas kept popping up. Obviously, Virginia was interesting to me because you know it's a little bit warmer. I can have you know the style of wine that I like. But as I researched Virginia, North Carolina kept popping up. Mm-hmm. It was a history of a wine producer, and that kind of piqued my interest in North Carolina back in the year you know in 1999. And that was the catalyst for me to start poking around. So what I did was I hired a consultant from Napa Valley. And we looked at 62 pieces of land until we found this one parcel in North Carolina, in Wilkes County. And and that was the uh, in year 2000. That was the start of the journey.
1: Well, you know, and in that too, you had a lot of things going on in the state of North Carolina with the settlement of the tobacco lawsuits and the creation of the Golden Leaf Foundation, which was to help farmers, former tobacco farmers, make transitions and businesses that were dependent on that. And that was really... a a huge time of expanse for for wineries, for vineyards, I should say, in North Carolina. And so you landed right in that. Um, Is it something where you you saw a lot of um, camaraderie build up? Did you get to know other people that were also making transition on either vacant pieces of land or transitioning from other crops into developing vineyards? Or did you find yourself kind of on an island again in uh, Wilkes with creating what you have up there now?
0: Well, it's really a combination of both. And if you just take a step back, the interplay between the wine industry and the tobacco industry goes back quite a long time, all the way to Prohibition. Because before Prohibition, North Carolina was the largest grower of uh, grapes and wine in the country. And the fact, we even sent wine to California. That's how prolific North Carolina was in, in wine production. But then we had uh, prohibition and then there was a loophole in prohibition that you could make wine but for church services only. So in California you had a lot of the missionaries where Catholicism was a dominant religion so they were able to keep a lot of the uh, uh, wineries open. In North Carolina it was not the same setup and what happened was the only other cash crop that made as much money as wine was tobacco. And so North Carolina went from the largest wine producer in the country to the largest tobacco grower in the country. And that persisted even after Prohibition got repealed. And then once the settlement that was passed that, that you referred to, all of a sudden you had farmers who were forced to look for another crop. And then they look back to history and realized that North Carolina is the place to grow grapes. So this is why the area has been exploding in the past 20, 25 years. Yeah, it sure That's has. For simple reason.
1: So, um, talk about that process of, of finding a parcel of land, and then you know yeah, having what, the vision and, and how you approached it.
0: And actually, how do you how do you deal with the land in understanding that it can grow the grapes and what you have to do to prepare that? It must be a big process. Well, in terms of the the, the vineyard land, if if you look around the world, historically, it's in the worst possible land that you can buy. You know, it's it's rocky, fertility is low, it's miserable uh, that's when you want to plant grapes oh. uh, because it, it and and so it's not your traditional flat area where this where, where fertility dominates because vines will put out as many grapes as the environment allows them to and the higher the quality uh, the higher the quantity of grapes the lower the quality of those grapes so they like to be you know in, in fertile, hostile environments so that's why I brought a consultant from Napa Valley to help me look for it because he knew what was required to grow these style of grapes. And you tend to end up at rocky, slopey hillsides, which is why Wilkes County is kind of a natural area for that stuff. And if you look at what I refer to as what I call the wine triangle, this is an area where you, you can grow these classical European-style grapes. And it basically goes as far as – uh, I, would, I would call uh, uh mount airy in the north wilkesboro out west and yakinville in the east it's a very tight area outside of that for various reasons it's more difficult to grow european style grapes so that was the uh, marching order and that's where we kind of focused and it landed in the center of all that in ronda north carolina
1: what what have you found as some of the um, unique challenges or opportunities on the support infrastructure of building up a successful vineyard in North Carolina?
0: Well, well, early on, obviously, it was it was it was pretty lonely spacing uh, because it, it was you know very early. It was not an identified industry. And then, so what was missing was the uh, educational infrastructure. So there wasn't any viticultural schools, there are now. There wasn't any ag uh, dedicated programs, there are now. There wasn't any winemaking programs, there are now. And there wasn't any hospitality programs They're all now. So that's the key is is getting the workforce that is trained to really allow this because at the end of the day, this is a business that is focused on hospitality and tourism. So the farming, the winemaking, all, all the technological is one aspect of it and the rest is hospitality. So that is completely here, which is key for this industry to grow materially, but was not here in any way, shape or form 20 years ago.
1: Is it, does that include regulatory reforms as far as retail, mailing, and distribution and things? Or was that, has that been pretty smooth from the start as, as you've helped to lead an industry here back to dominance in North Carolina?
0: Yeah, so I think the, uh, the regulatory reforms and, and those other types of reforms are in the process of getting there. Uh, what was immediate was the need for this, uh, the technical expertise and the retraining of the work staff and that was organic and natural the, the universities saw it, the, the colleges saw it we need to repurpose there's an emerging industry here and they retooled of their own direction uh, on, on the more regulatory front and, and, and the governmental front that's more of a sustained push by the industry but but from the, uh, uh, the bottom-up effort from the educational sector was profound and significant
1: yeah, oh, very interesting. Well, let's switch to talking about the vineyard and what you offer out there, what you're doing these days. And and before we run out of time, I want to make sure we also talk about the upcoming festival yes. as well. So I want to I'll, hear about the yeah. festival. <laughs> so uh, we'll yeah, leave, so take the lead on what you want to prioritize <laughs> first.
0: Yeah, so basically the decision is once you establish a vineyard is you need to have a house style. What What is your place known for? Because you can be anything, you can be everything, anybody and end up being nothing. So we have a very specific house style is we make dry Italian style wines. And we use something called an appassamento method, which basically once harvest is done, before we process through grapes, we dry all of our grapes in these big drying rooms to really concentrate the flavor. And uh, this is uh, known in the northern part of Italy where they make a wine called Amarone, which is deeply structured red. We have been pioneering research in Apposimento, and we've dried more fruit than anyone in the country the past seven years. So we're kind of on the leading edge of that research. We share that research with everyone around us to do that. So we focus on central to the southern Italian-style uh, dry, white, and red wine. And it, it, some of most of the grapes, most our customers have never heard of, which allows us to sort of educate them on the journey. Because once they've had a Cabernet from Napa, they know what it's supposed to taste like, but it, it's different. So because with their first experience with a Vermentino or a Montepachano or a Saguentino, we're able to define and educate them along the way. That was the first kind of step. The second step was to get like-minded people around us. So we encouraged a family friend of ours, Dr. Paccioni, to establish his vineyard adjacent to us. Then I bought and sold land on the other side of me that's adjacent to sold us to two other Italian families that are starting their Italian uh, winery and tasting rooms, and they're opening up uh, this year and next year. So we're going to have four Italian-focused vineyards adjacent to each other. Nothing like that anywhere in the United States. And it's in North Carolina. So, oh, that's wonderful. become a little Italian destination in Rhonda, North Carolina. Population of 450 people, and the Italians are sort of starting to move in and, and dominate this uh, unique area. Well, you just, kind of th-
1: you, you just made me think of something, Jay. You know, little Switzerland's not too yeah. far away. So you can hit Northern <laughs> exactly. Italy and Switzerland in the same weekend or week-long trip, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's, that's very true. So everything we do is very focused on the Italian brand. And then a while back, we had the idea, let's honor the Italian heritage. We came up with something called the Italian Festival, or we call Festa Italiana. And this is when, uh, basically, it's a two-day festival. It's held every uh, the third, Saturday and Sunday in September. And it is such a very popular event. It's grown exponentially. We have anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 people descending upon Raffaldini for the Festa Italiana, And we have, you know, Italian food, music, vendors. It's uh, artisans. It's really to honor the Italian heritage. And it's really something to see. And it's just growing and growing. And it, in fact, it initially started at one day. And it was the crowds were just so enormous that we had to do it over two days. But I think that's sort of the reception. And, and the nice part of this is we get people driving down from Ohio and Virginia mm-hmm. for this event, which is important because these people have prior didn't know about how beautiful Wilkes County is and their surroundings. And the first the first reaction we get all the time is, Oh my God, it is so beautiful in this area. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Yeah. It really is. So is there a way of opening up and introducing people to what's going on in the area? And more importantly, is driving our message that we're a community, we're in this together, we're growing, and we're just, and we're just, uh, you know, living the life and, and enjoying the moment with our new friends and, and patrons.
1: All right, so agritourism has become a huge thing, especially since COVID. It's blown up and everything. What's the best way for people to learn more about the vineyards, schedule a visit, and see all the different things you have going on on a regular basis, but then also especially to make sure they don't miss out on the festival?
0: Yeah, well, thank you for that. So uh, the best way is to come to our website, which is com. And you can also another good way to do that is to also go to the ncwine.org website to see all the other wineries around us. In terms of uh, Raffaldini, we get about twenty thousand visitors a year. It's a very popular place on the website, Uh, and you kind of we want you to know in advance what the tasting experience is going to be like. But really, when you come to Raffaldini, we we have that classic what I call that exhale moment, and I talk about this to everyone that goes there. You walk on the property, and you sit down, you have a glass of wine, and you're like, ah. I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) The exhale moment. Such a wonderful spot.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for being with us, uh, Jay Raffaldini, and uh, for everything that you do um, economically, culturally, um, artistically, you know, supporting people and being able to have a place to gather and be inspired. And um, for all of that, thank you for doing it. And thank you for being here on Find Your Back Road. Thank you for having me both.
0: Thank you for listening to the Wilkesboro Find Your Back Road podcast.
1: To request an interview spot or to advertise, email info at wilkescountytourism.com. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And be sure to visit bizradio.us to find hundreds of other engaging conversations, local events, and more.